Christians are supposed to be Christ-like, just as the name implied from when it was originally used in the first century, right up to our own postmodern world today. It's as simple as WWJD, right? Wrong. Join our show host, teacher, servant leader, and fellow traveler as we journey together in learning how lives daily renewed by God's grace and power can embrace Christian living that counts and makes a difference in a broken world. Greetings for Author Talk. This is J. Douglas Barker. The title of the book is an intriguing title, A Word from Above, and joining me from near New York City is Pastor our former pastor, John P. Vulgaris, who is the author of the book. Pastor Vulgaris, thank you for joining me today. Oh, I'm so happy to uh, arrive to this point, because these are important uh, things in you know, God, very important. I will, mention to the, I will mention to the audience, this book is uh, religious in nature. It is prophetic in content. When I say prophetic, it's not uh, just only your opinion of uh, future future events, but a look at past events and how they have shaped our world and how they may shape what uh, those who are Christians or religious people feel the church is going to uh, face in the future. Would that be a good way to describe what your book is about? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. It it is a lot, but uh, in a few words, you you used uh, exactly what uh, is in that share. Yes, and when we say in a nutshell, we don't mean it's off the uh, off the uh, edge of the planet that it's crazy. We just mean that it's uh, that's a condensed way of saying it. Tell me a little of yeah. your background history. You are not native to the United States or to uh, the New York City area, although you've lived there a number of years. Tell a little of your background and why this subject material became a passion for you. Well, starting with my life, uh, I was a son of a devoted uh, family. My father was a cantor of the church. I found the Bible in the Greek, even when I was six, seven years old. And um, then I continued, but I, I was not uh, very much into this. I was a smart person. In high school, in those days, I was not sure the word of God, the word of God, you know, right. exactly the way... I developed that later. But at, um, in the school, I received the uh, knowledge of the whole language of Greece, the uh, ancient Greece, uh, Greek language, you know, because I was in Sparta and they had it as a major to know of the ancient Greek because of being proud of being a Spartan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> For certain reasons. But that was very good for me because I I went into all the grammar and syntaxes and uh, uh, between the differences between Homer and the later writings and uh, then the Kini which is uh, the one that uh, the gospel was written by the will of God and this this uh, back, this background in Greece uh, has has equipped you to be a student as well you have yeah. uh, have done a wonderful job of uh, research and uh, delving into some very complex and and confusing parts of what we refer to as the Bible and scripture and in particular prophecy this book uh, is a lifelong a lifelong completion of a passion you have correct 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 I have more <laughs> believe it or not but uh, this uh, is going to 
going to be a book that somebody should keep it for keeps, you know, because it's so much that uh, to digest from the pages. What mo- what sure. motiv- what motivated you motivated you to write this one that's titled A Word from Above? I understand there was a scriptural reference that you have uh, have noted as a foundation for getting involved in writing this. It is so important. I mean, it came step by step. I was thinking to write a book about timely events, timely signs about the time. And uh, then it came to me the beginning when I had an encounter with the Lord in a dream. And um, he woke me up and my wife was next to me. And uh, because I was a musician for the most part of my early life, and he gave me a song in Greek. And in English means, if you are born from above, you must be born from above only when you are born from above. He gave me three phrases in melody. And the melody uh, sounded familiar. Uh, and then I realized when I woke up uh, that uh, I played as a Brzezuki player uh, in a, a record that was uh, for a Jewish uh, they were singing as a group Jewish songs. And finally, after that, I found out that the original uh, melody was for Prophet Elijah. Hmm. That I found out later. Uh, I did not know. So I had uh, the music in my record somewhere because I played for the Call Salonica is the record. And um, that means the four voice of Thessalonica. And um, the melody, that's what about the melody. Now, about the song, i like to send you a separate, because I spoke about that, that that song is so important that uh, now I have it written also in English. And uh, Beautiful. Yeah, I don't know if you want to hear a couple of verses, but I don't know. If sure. Well, we could. Or... Yes, we we would uh, love to love to hear some of that. Uh, do you have it uh, in uh, in digital format, or how do you have it, uh, or are you going to sing it for us? I can sing it even now. Because uh, sure. Why? <laughs> I, I why not? A musician for life, you know. And, uh, <laughs> Let's hear a little uh, bit of the charisma, of the But I abandoned rendition. it because I wanted to concentrate hundred percent with the word of God. But uh, this song has to come out, has to come out, and uh, let's see now uh, if I can get the lyrics. I'm a little shaky here, you know, right. speaking to you. All right, the song is, By night to Jesus came Nicodemus. Hmm. One to one he sought the truth. You want me to sing it? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, let's hear it. Any way you want to, anywhere you, way you want to share is fine. Yeah, right. By night to Jesus came Nicodemus. One to one, he sought the truth. He says, oh, Rabbi, we all know you by the signs and miracles. God must be with you. Truly true, I'm in humanity. To draw all to life, renewal unto me. If one is not born from above, he cannot... See the reign of God from 
come bovine in humanity to draw all to have life unto me. If one isn't poor from above, he cannot see the reign of love. Truly, truly, I say to ye, you must be born anew from above. You'll be rid of sin, you'll be rejoicing, no evil ever will coexist with God. Unless you have been born again, you miss Messiah's voice saying, Repent and enter his saving plan and see his glorious return. What I'm hearing there is uh, the the Jewish style of music. Is that uh, also correct? Of course. I I said this was a song from From the Jewish. uh, Old. And somebody recognized. And uh, I happened to travel with him on the airplane. And he was a Jewish fellow. And I said, okay, here I am. You know, I played records. Uh, for Jewish melodies, hmm. and I uh, mentioned this song. and says, oh, this is about the prophet Elijah. Wonderful. I mean, the Lord picked this song for a good reason, for good history. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah. your, your, book, your book has uh, deals with a lot of the, uh, the ancient history of Israel, and uh, also the prophecies of what are referred to as the Old Testament. One of the most prominent prophecies that you have outlined is the prophecies carried in the book of Daniel. You think those have relevance in today's economy, correct? Definitely. You know, America is in most of the Daniel's book, and uh, is the country or the nation that has dominion today. It is one of the seven dominions. This is the Hmm. seventh dominion, and dominion is not a simple word like authority or being on top or other words. Uh, This word, shaltan, is only given for the Nebuchadnezzar and for certain uh, events uh, uh, talking about the ones that they are in authority over the whole earth. What, one of the complicated su- subjects in the book of Daniel is, this, is called the seven weeks, and uh, those who are attending churches that deal with this subject matter will will recognize the term, the seven weeks of Daniel. You also talk about the uh, parousia, which uh, to those who are believers or Christian in their focus, uh, that talks about what? The, the, the catching away of the church? Uh, the, uh, some people refer to it as the rapture. Is that something that also you deal with in your book? Of course. Uh, uh, this is a word that is uh, very uh, important. And in the translations, they have done a terrible job um, because they call it coming and coming. Right. But the word there says how he comes and to whom he comes. He comes to see his people, his elect. It's not the coming, which is Erchom, it's a different word when you uh, understand his coming uh, on the earth, that every eye will be seeing him. Uh, and this, would you, would, would you say that if you study your, your, uh, your book, which is, again, 330 pages or so, is this a book that is going to bring hope to the reader? Oh, definitely, because uh, uh, the knowledge of the Word of God, and for the end times especially, is the oil 
that uh, the extra oil that the ten virgins supposed to have, the, all the lamps were lit for the ten virgins, and all ten are in the kingdom of God. <laughs> Something that uh, people have not uh, realized because the first uh, verse, twenty-five uh, of Matthew, verse one says that. The kingdom of heaven consists of ten virgins. Does not exclude the five unwise. But the way that they went in, uh, it's a big problem. The wise ones, they had extra oil. Extra oil in their separate uh, vessels. And that's what we need. We need to have that extra uh, oil about what the end times are, are about to face. Uh, Pastor, uh, how long did it take you to complete this? I know this has been a lifetime or lifelong study, and obviously that's uh, that's evident from uh, looking at your book and looking at the research, looking at the uh, cross-references. This must have taken a long time to compile. How long did it take? I know the Lord, besides knowing scriptures, but to be born from above, which indicates the song that I'm referring to, myself, uh, I am now 36 years. So in the 36 years, I always challenged uh, everything that... uh, was coming across, you know, to tell me about the truth of God and uh, digging into the original because I found a lot of mistakes in the translations helped me very, very much. And um, yeah, it's a lifelong, I'll say. But um, speaking about America and about the elections that uh, the Lord was. involved and uh, intervened in the elections of 2016. I I follow again and again, and I got new understanding of the symbolic language. And the symbolic language uh, is not known to others. The other thing is not known to others um, is the signs, the signs of the times. There are signs in places uh, of the Bible that they are called Paul or uh, Ensing or Flag or I don't have it in front of me, you know, uh, the, the translations right. have it. But if you go to see the original word, you will see something that the Lord has for us to to look at the text today and find out what he's talking to us, because the sign is for our times, most of them. In uh, the span of uh, Isaiah 30 uh, to Isaiah 33, that uh, speaks about our current days with uh, the election of Trump, 
there are five different signs involved. Why they are there? Because the Lord says, when the time comes, then we'll open the eyes for somebody to understand why the sign is there. But the translation, it is uh, called a token or anything or a banner. Isaiah says that uh, the Lord will raise up a banner. Right, but that's a sign. That's yes. What, uh, Describe for me the the reader that you envisioned would uh, gravitate towards what you have uh, have shared in your book. Who is the person that's going to benefit? Is this written for pastors, or was it written for just people who go to church, or was it written for for just anyone who might have a curiosity about the biblical approach to, believe, to the I end believe, times? I believe that uh, everyone whose heart is beating needs to hear what is planned ahead. It will be highly important. Beautifully put. Of course, a nation uh, to receive personal knowledge and survival in the soul. But uh, we need to realize that the trials that are set before us, we need to know uh, the details that are in this book. Everyone will benefit from it. The title of the book, again, is A Word from Above, the author John P. Vulgaris has joined me near New York City. Pastor, where can my listeners get a copy of your book? Uh, directly from Author House or uh, Amazon.com. And uh, for me, I am constructing a, a website. Coming in the future. Let me just spell your last name so people can uh, do a search online and locate not only this book, but I understand you have authored other other periodicals and, and uh, works. Volgaris is spelled V-O-U. L-G-A-R-I-S, first name John, middle initial P. Pastor Volgaris, thank you for joining me today and sharing your story. Best of luck on this. I think this would be a great research book for anybody who uh, is either in ministry or has an interesting, uh, an interest in, in church events and uh, past, present, and future. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you. Thank you for t- taking it. I expect the people to realize that uh, what I have, not only about uh, my life and about the knowledge of the Scripture, but the particular events and signs, I have started to look into this in 1991 when Mm. it was the Kuwait War, because one of the signs is the invasion of Iraq. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I saw the Scriptures talking about that. I said, oh, this must be now. Unfortunately, you know, it wasn't unfortunately because uh, I used all that study for later uh, because it did not agree exactly in 1991. But I had one of my Bibles uh, marked my findings. And uh, then came 2002 and 2003, and then I checked the same writings about the invasion in Iraq and everything fall in place. In- Every word of it. Incredible. This is a, this is a book that will make a great a great great addition to any pastor's uh, library, and also anybody that's a studier and curious about future. Uh, about uh, biblical events and prophecy specifically. Again, the title of the book is A Word from Above. If you are a uh, a listener who is curious about where we are in what's referred to by church folks as end 
time events, this is a book for you. Thank you again for joining me today, Pastor. Yeah, can I say the book provides awareness and direction for uh, end times doctrines, whereby uh, we need the proper interpretation to lead to true conclusion. And um, the, the book provides in four chapters awareness, build uh, up, see certainty, and then the D is destination, D, A, B, C, D. It's, it's uh, aligned properly to give uh, this. It stabilizes the role of America uh, since uh, 2001, which is the most critical time, the interim time, which starts from the science of the times, which is related uh, in the twin towers that caused the Iraq war. This is the interim and in, in that interim, God has given dominion to the United States of America to be the seventh empire in his overall humanity plan. And uh, then God's inter- intervention uh, in the 2016 elections, in which he interrupts the mastery covenant with many. They call it peace agreement, but... That peace agreement is something that uh, we need to learn that uh, it's an erroneous implication there that uh, they call it a restrainer holding back, but that must be retranslated. Thank you for sharing that. And again, the title of the book, A Word From Above, can be located at your local bookseller if you request it by name and by the author, John P. Vukaris. Thank you, sir, for joining me today. For Author House, this is J. Douglas Barker. Stay with us for more Christian Living That Counts, back in a moment. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. The National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute defines high cholesterol as a condition in which you have too much cholesterol in your blood. By itself, the condition usually has no signs or symptoms. People who have high blood cholesterol have a greater chance of getting coronary artery disease. According to the American Heart Association, more than 120 million Americans over the age of 20 have cholesterol counts that are above a healthy level. Harvard Medical School says that the good news is that cholesterol levels can be controlled, and just by lowering your total cholesterol 10%, you can decrease your heart attack risk by 20 to 30%. Making changes in your eating is important, but including daily exercise is a must. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Visit our Facebook fan page at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. Returning with more of Christian Living That Counts, readings for Author Talk, this is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled Revolution and Fall, subtitled Christian Life in a Post-Christian World. Interesting topic, and the author... Charles Grice joins me from near Nashville, Tennessee. Thank you, sir, for joining me today. Thank you, Jay. And if I may, I'll refer to you informally as Chuck in the conversation. Your book is a, uh, I would say, a, a relatively easy read for as far as length. I, I've, you know, visited with many authors, and some have books that are eight, nine hundred pages, and they have to split them in two and get them into two, two. Uh, 
two different books in order for uh, the the material to be be disseminated. This is 131 pages or so. It deals with the Christianity and obviously the Christian world. You you refer to our world as post-Christian. Why did you come to that conclusion? Uh, in in a sense, it's not necessarily my conclusion because that's what today a lot of academics and philosophers and other cultural uh, critics have are calling it. And in in a sense, maybe um, they might be right. If you look at Europe, uh, church attendance is probably less than ten percent in most uh, countries. And just one example, the um, most recent. Uh, Surveys talk about people who call themselves the nuns, which they have no church affiliation, no particular faith uh, system. They just call themselves the nuns, are technically equal to the number of churchgoers. So it's it's pretty revolutionary what's happened in the last 50 years. You have a background not as a theologian specifically, other than personal study, you uh, have uh, a legal mind, I would I would guess would be the right way to describe that, one that loves detail and obviously is good at it. Your book is filled with references and, and background uh, information as well. You talk about the revolution, you talk about culture, you talk about enlightenment that left us in the dark. That happened several centuries ago, and how did that begin the process of uh, maybe turning the, the genuine churchgoer and believer uh, maybe into a secular humanist. Uh, yeah, I mean, all this began because when I was teaching Sunday school, as I've been doing for almost 30 years, I really found classes and uh, Christians struggling, either anxious or despondent or sometimes angry at cultural changes. And, and after a while, I thought, you know, really Christians need some resources uh, to regain their confidence. They and I thought to myself, uh, really, if we want to respond uh, as true disciples, we really need to understand what happened, how it happened, uh, the underlying belief systems of secular humanism, its ways of persuading, especially our youth. So that began me starting to teach about culture and how culture changed, and um it did begin, I guess, some of the very early ideas in the Enlightenment. Uh, it was kind of an early assault in Europe on the church and church teachings, and it was by philosophers like Descartes and Kant and those who ostensibly were Christians but really had very unorthodox ideas. And if you trace it, as I do, in a brief chapter that's really, I think, uh, very clear and not philosophical and just... Uh, very readable, Uh, you can trace the actual movement of philosophy to from that to just pure out-and-out atheism, which pretty much culminated in Karl Marx. Uh, So I think if you look underneath what's going on in secular humanism, I think the Christian really, once they gain an understanding and see what its belief systems are and how fragile they are and how little meaning it supplies for us, Christians kind of start regaining their confidence. You also can view today's culture and Christian culture. There's a lack of what I would call thoughtful apologetics in the Christian 
Christian faith. There are many pastors and church leaders who use the religious terms and and try to motivate motivate people that way, but some feel or give the impression that common sense, uh, logic, even science can be left at the door. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, um, we're all given common sense, and we're all given logic, and science is really supposed to be about facts, and Christians aren't supposed to be about denying facts. So, uh, you know, you find uh, in the gospel some very logical arguments, not just uh, arguments that are emotional appeals. So the whole Christian tradition uh, used to be uh, some of the greatest thinkers that uh, really brought to fore uh, common sense and logic and reason um, to to the Gospels. Um, I do have one chapter on science, and, you know, that there's really nothing in science that proves or disproves anything about faith. What I go through in this chapter, which a lot of people have really enjoyed, just getting a perspective, is how the secular movement is really misusing science. I call it in there pseudoscience. Mm. Uh, making unscientific claims, really, that just to back up their secular agenda. So I think that's just one another things. When you kind of look under the hood of secular humanism, you find out that really um, it's a very weak moral system, and you find out that uh, there's not much to it. It's it's almost like uh, breaking the spell sometimes. And it's phenomenal. I have uh, grandchildren who are college age or beginning in, in college uh, education. There is a an all-out assault on, I would say, traditional values and, and almost a ridicule of those who hold them. Your book should be able to assist them in their, in their quest if they are faith-driven. Yeah, I think this book actually... Um does address not only the person who's a Christian, but also the person who's just inquiring. Um, and the person who, you know, there's a lot of catchphrase and slogans and latitudes used by the secular world that sound enchanting, but when you kind of look behind them, um, it really provides no meaning for these people. And so that's why we have this very anxious culture we do, especially among young people. So I think this is a, this has been a good resource. I know a lot of my friends who have read this book have said have ordered said I'm going to give this to my college age child. Was that part of the motivation for penning the words of your of your book? Uh, yeah, it, it was. I mean, uh, it's it's obviously as you said, we're in a culture that, um, especially in the academic culture, of sending them off to college of uh, actively promoting a culture of unbelief. And the examples are everywhere. Um, I know I was reading the other day about a woman who said her child learned early on at uh, Berkeley not to tell anybody she was a Christian for fear of being humiliated and called backwards and ignorant. So it's out there. Yeah, that was a motivation. Uh, it is uh, a difficult culture to be uh, living in at this point, and uh, I believe there even are some scriptural references that talk about the lack of faith in uh, what is referred to by many in 
Christianity as end times. Do you also hold that view that there's a, 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 a besides the all-out assault, that there are some challenges that the church and individuals who, who are people of faith need to address? Well, yeah, now that's in each chapter I have has specific things. One, it kind of uncovers some of the fragile foundations of secular humanism. But, uh, you know, I find a lot of churches believing they need to adapt to the modern culture. And so they're uh, getting away from the gospel and starting to promote more political agendas for social justice. And you'll notice that those churches are the ones that are dying out over mm. time, the ones that are denying resurrection and moving away from Orthodox Christianity. Uh, the irony is the more they try to appeal to the new culture, uh, the less people become. And because of your background as a an attorney and uh, having, I guess, a love for detail, there are some wonderful details outlined in your book, but I think the way to describe it would be conversational. Was that a purposeful thing, or was it difficult to do? Uh, yeah, you know, actually, writing clearly and writing conversational is a little more difficult than it, it seems, but uh, one, um, I'm not trying to be a great author or... Uh, Anything else? I, I, it's an idea that I want to communicate clearly, and I think the goal of my writing isn't to be something that I'm not. It's really just to communicate clearly um, what is going on in culture, and so I think people appreciate that. The title "Revolution and Fall" was that something that was the first part of your book, the title, or was it something that came after? the contents were completed? You know, I always wait until I'm finished. And then, because the book you start to write is never the book that you end up writing. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of amazing how that works. And as I said, this is my second book. But, uh, yeah, you never really know what's going to come out. You start off with an idea. Uh, it changes. You get into it deeper. And so at the end, I thought, you know, uh, it's happened so slowly to us in this Christian world that it's been so subtle. Uh, we don't realize what a revolution it's been to have, like I say, Europe with small percentages. When I went to Europe, churches were empty. Uh, and then even today, uh, we have so many churches that are just empty. So uh, it, it, it's nothing less than a revolution if you really look back at Western civilization. It had a Christian foundation for almost 2,000 years. Something's happened in the last 50. Absolutely, and it seems to be increasing in speed uh, the more you look at the culture and its impact on our world. The title of your book, Revolution and Fall, great title, and the subtitle is Christian Life in a Post-Christian World. My author guest has been Charles Grice. Charles, my listeners need to get a copy of this, and I will recommend this for anyone who, as you have said in your your earlier conversation, you have been a, a teacher in Sunday school and in the church environment. This would be a great resource for that as well. Where do they get a copy of Revolution and Fall? Uh, it's available on Amazon, uh, and it's but also you could get it at the author house, um, A-U-T-H-O-R house, 
and they have a website too where you can get it. And um, yeah, I think it's really designed not only for anybody who's anxious or whatever about this new revolution, but I think it blends itself very much to a Sunday school course. Matter of fact, after I've written it, uh, I've already done two Sunday school classes, two of them about six months and. We will hopefully get a chance to visit with you again on the next edition or the revision of this, if there ever is one. And I would also, because of my background and uh, being around young adults, I think this would be great for a uh, youth pastor or a youth ministry to uh, share the gospel and uh, share some important topics that uh, impact our culture. Chuck, thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Jay. I appreciate it. My pleasure. For Author Talk, this is Jay Douglas Barker. Stay with us for more Christian Living That Counts, back in a moment. It's Merging Believe it or not, there are times when even I can't think of the right word. The inability to think of a word is called lethologica. Texas Monthly Magazine recently came out with some colorful homespun sayings. Old as dirt and common as cornbread in the Lone Star State. Did you hear about the Texan that could strut sitting down? But he was all hat and no cattle, which means very boastful, but with nothing about which to boast. On top of that, he don't know a widget from a wangdoodle or a diddly squat. His wife was a mighty strong woman. She'd charge hell with a bucket of ice water. She was always telling folks that he was so tight, he could squeeze a nickel till the buffalo screamed. She also said he was famous for calling the hogs all night or snoring. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my new app, Too Funny for Words. Returning with more of Christian Living That Counts... Greetings for Author Talk. This is J. Douglas Barker. The title is Remember Eternity. And joining me from somewhere in the Northwest, I'm, I'm Northeast. Now, let me see, where are you, Judith? I'm in Indianapolis, Indiana. Indianapolis, Indiana, is author J.E. Starks Brown. Welcome, Judith, to the program. Thank you, thank you. It's a pleasure to talk with you. I was fascinated by the background story of your of your work. It is a relatively short read, 156 pages or so. But you you began writing this uh, as a young student in high school, 14 years of age, and have been um, nurturing this story for a number of years. In fact, you are a retirement age, if I understand it correctly. Yes, I just retired uh, back in October, and when I was. Uh, a stay-at-home mom. I have five daughters, and I would write this uh, in composition books, uh, taking up from where I started from. I had to add material. I had to delete material because of the because of the times. Because times change, right. and, and depending on what God gave me to write, I had to follow the leading of my spirit. And this is what I came up with. And actually, what we have out on uh, Amazon right now is only 
part one. Part one. Now, the, the, the fascinating thing, again, about this book, not only is the fact that you started it when you were 14 years old, uh, a freshman in high school, but that the, uh, the subject material is uh, one of spiritual journey, and that's a little bit unusual also. Was that uh, unusual for your time when you were uh, in, in school? What motivated you to become focused on your Christian faith? Well, um, I received the gift of the Holy Spirit at age 13, and this is all I know. I was brought up in this way, and I, this is all I, I have been taught, so it was very easy for me to write. But you also stuck, you stuck, with, you stuck with it, though. That, that's another thing that yes, I guess that in, today's yes, world, in today's world, in today's society, uh, students who maybe have been brought up in church and uh, attend church maybe at least once a week, which is now the, now the norm, used to be three or four times a week, uh, have um, kind of uh, blended with the, uh, the society around them. Uh, that was not the case with you. Absolutely not, and especially in the day that we live in now, uh, this is very timely because everyone has an eternity, and God gave me the title for this book, I would say, probably, oh, 10 to 15 years ago when I bought a secondhand computer that had Windows 95 on it, (laughs) and that was when... I began to type up everything that I had handwritten. It's it's fascinating and that you you kept your notes that long also for that number of I years and have. still had the passion for writing the story. One other thing that's unique about your your book and your storyline is that it is a fictional work, of course, I will mention that. It also yes, it is. is done in conversational style. A lot of books and stories will have, uh, you know, descriptives of background uh, uh, maybe environments where the characters are located and and those kinds of things. Yours is more conversational between the characters. Was that unique? Uh, to your work that is but the the there is an introduction and there is a foreword which ex, which explains the characters but you're right the book is 75 percent dialogue which is my writing style which i feel most comfortable with but yet there are some narratives to explain the dialogue and that is the best way that I can communicate with my reader. Explain to my my listeners a little of the main characters in your story and what is the focal point of the storyline, if you can share that. Okay. My focal point is the transformation power of the Holy Spirit. And the main character, or one of the main characters, is... uh, his name is Douglas, and he has a save from the streets uh, testimony that is very powerful. Um, he was out there in the world doing anything and everything, and he was a witness to a very violent motorcycle accident where his friend was killed right in front of his eyes. And it was very traumatic to him. He was at the point of suicide, and that when and that was when his mother-in-law stepped in and simply told him four words that actually changed his changed his life. And those words for him were, "Let God help you." Hmm. And he 
he came to church because she invited him to, and that was the only reason why. But he heard the gospel, he believed it, and he allowed God to transform his life. It's a comparison probably to the conversion of Paul on the road to Damascus. Right. He was he was killing the people of God, thinking he was doing God's service. But when God stopped him in his tracks and blinded him for three days, that's, that was when his life was changed. So Douglas testifies to anyone that will listen to him, the transforming power of God, if you allow him to help you, and his his life touches many other lives. And what it all boils down to is we all have to prepare for the eternity that every one of us faces. And you're whether st- you're- we die or whether we are caught up you, you into have- the... You ha- rapture of the church. Yes, you have a, you have a storyline, of course. Uh, is there, because this is dialogue-driven, is there also some action scene other than the one you've mentioned where there was a serious accident that impacted the main character? Yeah, there was a suicide attempt from a family member. There were uh, several accidents that happened, but you have to actually read the story to get the uh, full understanding of the book, and it is just something that I think will help down-to-earth ordinary people, people that are struggling with addictions, people that don't have any power uh, over circumstances, and that is the bottom line, the power of the Spirit of God, which is a gift that he promised us on the day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago, and it just behooves everyone to take advantage of this great gift that he promised. Uh, when you, when that you're, is the when main you're, gist of the book. Yeah, when you were thinking of, of uh, getting this book released and, and printed, and I'm sure with encouragement from family members and others that knew of your passion, was there a, uh, a, a difficult time in getting all of these thoughts assembled? Uh, this has been a, a long process, and if so, are you considering the other two or three additional uh, steps of, of uh, releasing the series? Well, step two, or part two, is I'm already over 100 pages into it. Wonderful. And that will probably be released, hopefully, by the end of the year. So this is a very long novel. It was too long to be put into one book, so it's going to have to be divided into three or four parts since I have been writing it for so long. Now, are young adults going to enjoy this read, do you think? Are they going to be engaged by the characters? Hopefully so, because these are down-to-earth people. They are, most of the characters are young people. There are a few older, more settled people, but there are people coming uh, from all walks of life that need to know about this message. And that is why I felt so compelled to get it out there. It's not going to be popular with everyone. I'm going to get some backlash, I'm sure. But this is what God has given me, and I have no fear. Was there, what was the most challenging part in getting this completed? Was it just the time 
span that uh, you had to I- embrace and, and overcome, or were there other things that also were a complicated uh, part of getting this produced? Well, up until October, I was working most of most of the time. I was working over 60 hours a week, and I had no time to do it. But as soon as I retired in October, I felt pushed. I felt led to do this, and everything just kind of fell into place. And I've already sold several copies. I don't have an exact number right now, but uh, I've gotten a lot of positive feedback from people that have read the book. Some people have read it twice. And most of the feedback I have gotten is they like it because it is so down-to-earth and real. They can relate to the things that happen to these people. And hopefully... You know, that will get the message across. Well, fabulous. And and one thing I will say about the book that is unique, at least from my perspective, is the fact that it's primarily dialogue-driven. It, it is a little bit uh, yes. different from that perspective. It's almost like a movie script or a play. You can almost envision mm-hmm. this on stage. Uh, perhaps that's something that we'll develop from, from the book as time progresses. The title of the book, again, is Remember Eternity. My author, J.E. Starks Brown. Uh, Judith, where do we get copies of your book? It is available on Amazon. It is available on Barnes & Noble and also from Arthur House, which is the uh, company that published the book. So it's available for $13.99 for the paperback version and $3.99 for the e-book. Excellent. And I will mention this, that uh, Starks Brown is uh, Starks, S-T-A-R-K-S hyphen B-R-O-W-N, if they're doing a search online, initials J-E. J-E Starks Brown has been my guest, and the title of the book again is Remember Eternity. Best of luck with this, and hopefully we'll get to visit again when the next of the uh, series is released. Thanks again for joining me today. All right, thank you. My pleasure for Author Talk. This is J. Douglas Barker. Join us again for Christian Living That Counts.